you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey! We hope you're strapped in today. Oh, my gosh. It's Monday. We got another beautiful show up on the deck there. And we're talking to an amazing author. We put, as always, into the Chris Foss Show podcast Google deck. It's the Google deck today. And we put in there amazing authors. And they just come to us. And it's amazing what we have going on with the show. As always, refer the show to your family, friends relatives and all the things we're uh, talking about there go to youtube.com for just chris voss go to goodreads.com for just chris voss go to all our groups on facebook linkedin twitter instagram all those crazy places the kids are playing today we're going to be talking to an amazing author about his books on dieting his future upcoming book stop dieting start thinning comes out december 13th of 2022 david medansky is on the show with us today we'll be talking to him in the meantime let's make some announcements on some future shows we have coming up so you'll stay tuned and refer the show to your friends we have david enrich is going to be on the show from the new york times servants of the damned his new book that's coming out you you're probably hearing about this you're seeing him on tv right now and some of the crazy stuff that he reports in the journalism his book we have cynthia covey holler who is the daughter of Stephen R. Covey. You may remember Dr. Stephen R. Covey on the show. Her life, life, live life in crescendo is going to be later on this week. And the co-founder of the Carlisle Group, one of the most successful, what is it? One of the most successful, uh, the big funds that they do, the big private funds that they do. How to Invest Masters of the Craft will be on the show with us later today. And last but not least, David Medansky is on the show with us today. He is a top selling author and speaker he's known as the diet contrarian david has identified nine golden rules of weight loss for people who love to eat he's helped countless people lose weight and keep it off without dieting exercising counting calories or buying special meals or product he struggled with his own weight issues until july 2016 when his doctor told him to either lose weight or find a new doctor wow puts the hammer down uh, during the next four months david shed 50 pounds almost 25 percent of his total body weight and has kept it off he understands your frustrations and challenges to lose weight now his mission in life is to teach you the nine golden rules of weight loss so we're going to learn a lot today so you too can lose weight have more energy feel better look better and improve your overall weight welcome to the show david how are you i'm doing great chris thanks for having me as a guest today Thanks for coming. We certainly appreciate you. The new book, Stop Dieting, Start Thinning, comes out December 13th, 2022. And uh, we should probably also plug your recent book from October 2021, Break the Trains of Dieting, Nine Fundamental Must-Have Principles for Healthy Weight Loss. You guys can pick that up wherever fine books are sold. So welcome to the show, David. Give us your dot-coms, your plugs, wherever you want people to find out more about you on the interweb itches. Sure. People can find me at I am thinning.com. That's capital I A M T H I N I N G.com. They can put my name in and find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. And I'm always happy to answer questions if people want to send them to me in a direct message. 
There you go. So tell us about your new book. I don't see it's up on Amazon yet, but it's coming out in December. Tell us about the new book, what it entails, and what motivated you to write it. I'm super excited about the new book coming out because it's a condensed version of Break the Chains of Dieting. Mm. Break the Chains of Dieting has won nine awards so far, and it's also been recommended and endorsed by Jack Canfield, co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Oh, wow. And that book, Break the Chains of Dieting, has a lot of short stories, fables, and analogies with life lessons. And I applied those life lessons to eating healthier and losing weight without going on diet. Because as we all know, diets are temporary, extreme, hard to stick with, and a lot of them are potentially dangerous to our health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, you know, it's it's amazing how you know people go through life on crash diets. I've been guilty of that, where I do crash dieting and stuff. And I like the idea of fables and and stories and lessons because what I found when I lost weight, and my audience is pretty familiar with this sort of process, is I had to re reconfigure my mind, my attitudes towards food, my attitudes towards dying. And fables and stories from some of the people I read helped me reprogram that brain mindset. Is that uh, kind of what yours does as well? Oh, absolutely. And as you mentioned, people do a lot of fad diets. I call fad fat and desperate. On average, person will attempt 126 different diets during their lifetime. So what does that tell you? It tells you diets don't work. And what I normally advocate, yeah, what I normally advocate for people is, if you want to lose weight, don't go on a diet. Instead, mm-hmm. change your diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, you you really have to permanently change your life and your attitudes towards food and what you're doing. You can't just go on a crash diet and then next week you're at McDonald's eating fries and you know drinking shakes and and all the sugary crap that's out there. You really have to you really have to change. It's a lifestyle change. You know, I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle, it's habits, and it's also changing what you eat. And it's also a mindset. There you go. There you go. It's you have to change what's going on in your brain, your attitudes towards food. You know, one of, one of my foods is is my, my mother used when we go to the store as a kid. And I think a lot of people go through this experience. At least they used to. And my, my mother would always be like, if you guys are good at the store, you don't cry, you don't scream, you don't beg for the sugar cereal, um, you know. The, the, the crack sugar cereal that, you know, will send you through the moon. My mom was always smart enough not to buy that. And, uh, but, you know, we beg. But she would say, you know, hey, if you're good, you'll get like a candy bar or a pop or something. She, you know, usually, I think it was usually a candy bar or something. But it would be a reward. And ever since then, I would go to the store. And when I'd be at the store buying food, I'd be like, oh, I went to the store today. I deserve rewards. So I'm getting a 12-pack of Mountain Dew and a, and a giant candy bar and a bag of uh, Doritos. <laughs> You're going to treat yourself, huh? Yeah, I had this reward mentality that food was a reward. You know, I'd be like, ah, what the hell? I'll go get me a giant fat steak or some fatty chicken somewhere. Oh, it's a reward. I had a good week, you know, and I had to break that chain of, of thinking food was a reward. Exactly. We look at food in the wrong way. A lot of us use it for comfort, to relieve <laughs> stress, or as you mentioned, as a reward as opposed to fuel for our body because our bodies are incredible machines. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you give it the right fuel. People take better care of their automobiles than they do themselves. (laughs) That's a great analogy. People really do. They take care of everything. They, they like you go to their home, it's spick and span. If they're clean people, you know, they, they want to make it look good. They take their car and and get it. And meanwhile, they'll just shove whatever poison, 
you know, into their food, into their mouth. You know, I had to realize that a lot of food we eat, especially if it's like fast food or if it's, you know, some of this garbage food, it, there's not a lot of nutrients, nutrients in it. You know, it, it's, it's, that's why you're kind of still hungry after. It, well, it's made with chemicals. A lot of the food is highly processed or manufactured. And when it's manufactured, it means it's made in a laboratory with a, by a person with a lab white coat as opposed to nature. So the other thing a lot of people don't realize is our food is being scientifically engineered. It has been since the 1980s to optimize our cravings for fat, salt, sugar, and texture. So what it does, it creates an addiction. And that's where Oreo cookies are more addictive than cocaine. Really? Absolutely. The research proves it. Wow. Now, do you have to snort the Oreo cookie or do you eat the Oreo cookie? Well, I don't touch it now. <laughs> but when I, was, yeah, when I was getting my weight, I would go through a whole canister of Pringles potato chips and still crave more and wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I, I, I got some of that from the, I remember the Super Size movie back in the day where the guy was eating McDonald's for 30 days straight. Yeah. And he's like, I'm, I'm always hungry because there's no nutrients in that. If you watch, if you've read some of the Frank and meat, a lawsuit that went into, I think the chicken nuggets or something where they, where <laughs> the judge coined the term Frank and meat. And I just think of that every time I think of McDonald's now, I'm like Frank and meat. And, uh, you, you know, we, you're right. We eat for taste. You know, my mom does something funny where she, she's learned that, that you, you do eat for taste, but you, you really don't want that stuff in your system. And so what's funny is she'll take and she'll eat like a chocolate and then spit it out. She won't swallow it because she recognizes that she likes the taste, you know? And that's one thing I had to realize that, you know, the salt taste and, and different things I was eating for the taste. I mean, you don't eat. You don't, you don't say to yourself, hey, let's put some poisonous crap that's been engineered in a, in a thing to manipulate me like a monkey by some scientists in some McDonald's lab. I think we're losing McDonald's as a sponsor at this point, but that's okay. We don't need that. But no, and, and we have to, like you say, this is a really important thing. Recognize that our food is scientifically engineered to manipulate us, to enslave us, to, to get us hooked. Just like cocaine or any other drug, you know, people don't look at food as a drug. They're like, oh, those people on drugs over there, they're bad. I'm going to eat this whole pound of ice cream, you know, recognizing, you know, the, the high fructose corn syrup and stuff that's out there. Exactly. I mean, uh, it's really highly addictive. Yeah, especially M&Ms. That used to be my downfall or Hershey bars. The list goes on and, and, and <laughs> Soda is the worst thing people can drink in diet soda. I get that argument all the time from people who I coach. Well, diet soda has zero calories. How does it cause weight gain? <laughs> well, it's because of the aspartame, which is the artificial sweetener that's in mm -hmm. it. And aspartame has 92 known side effects. And one of them is weight gain because, number one, it inhibits your body from absorbing vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. So now your body's in what they call starvation mode because you're not getting the right fuel for it. And it also increases your cravings for sweetness. So now you crave to eat the donut, the cake, the pie, mm -hmm. the cookies. The other thing a lot of people that I learned, the reason they, they don't, they, they feel hungry is they're dehydrated because they're eating stuff like pop and different things. You know, you're talking to some guy who used to put down 10 to 15 cans of Mountain Dew a day and then drink vodka at night for 20 years. Well, no, you're you're 100% right. That's the number one golden rule is to drink water. And because 
In the U.S., 75% of the U.S. population is chronically dehydrated, meaning we don't drink enough water. It is a direct correlation to 72% of the U.S. adult population being overweight. And what happens, a lot of times we think we're hungry, we're actually thirsty. Mm -hmm. And when you drink water, then you feel more satisfied, and it's also filling. It also acts to help clean your system. The other thing is our bodies are 60 to 70% water, not soda, not diet soda, not fruit juices, and not fruit-flavored beverages. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. It's it's really wild. What are some other things that you cover in the upcoming book that we can tease out? Oh, I'll give all nine golden rules because I also tell in the book what they what to do, but also how to do it. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I talk about having an accountability partner and where a lot of people will talk about how to get an accountability partner or what to do. I actually explain, you know, how to do it and what to to do during the whole conversation or Zoom conversation. So everything is there for everybody. But the nine golden rules is drink water, avoid processed or manufactured foods, eat whole foods, which I call real foods, eat small portions, eat slow, get sleep, give your system time to digest, which is the intermittent fasting, think positive, have physical activity. I advocate walking because if you're upright and can move forward, you can walk. And the other one is to sleep more. So Mm -hmm. Uh, that's it. I mean, but people think, oh, that's simple. I know that. And I always tell people, sure, I understand you know that. Are you doing it? And <laughs> Are you doing it? <laughs> no. Well, why not? You know what yeah. to do. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? You know, sleep is so important. That's one thing I learned losing. The sleep is so important. I have to get eight hours of sleep. If I don't, I lose weight. Now, sometimes I've done, during COVID, I kind of went on this weird binge. I think I was secretly had anxiety or something. I just went on a binge where I was sleeping for four hours, and then I would take a four-hour nap uh, later on in the day. So I was spreading it out. Well, I wouldn't lose weight. Sometimes I go up in weight during the first four-hour period. When I take the second four-hour period, I go into my really deep REM sleep. And I would lose two or three pounds and uh, then I would really lose weight. But yeah, a good solid eight hour sleep really makes a difference in, in weight loss. When you wake up in the morning, you see it on the scale and your body needs that time to fix your, fix all your problems with your body, flush all the crap out of your system. And sleep is so important. Oh, absolutely. What the research shows is a person who's sleep deprived will consume an extra 500 calories per day. Really? Yeah, because you're like you're like trying to find fuel to drive yourself because you haven't had rest, huh? Yeah, you want to keep that energy up, and so you eat the sugary stuff or the energy drinks. Uh, what they also found is to lose a pound, you need to reduce calories by 500 calories per day for an entire week, mm-hmm. and and that's where the fallacy comes in when you see the national brands about losing 15, 20, 30 pounds the first month guaranteed. You can lose the weight; most of it you won't keep off. So usually what I ask people is, would you like to weigh 24 to 48 pounds lighter by this time next year? Mm-hmm. And most people are like, well, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, can you lose two to four pounds a month? Not a week, a month. Well, most people say, yeah, I could do that. That's doable. Well, if you do that consistently on average for 12 consecutive months, because some months you'll lose more and some you won't lose any, over a year you'll be 24 to 48 pounds lighter by that time. The problem arises that, Everything is instant gratification. We all want to be mm-hmm. slim overnight. And what I tell yeah. people is you didn't gain your weight overnight. You're not going to lose it overnight. 
Yeah. I mean, some people put it on for years. It took me years to put mine on. It takes time to get them off. And, you know, it's, it, it takes time. But yeah, a nice slow method makes it so that people don't feel, you know, what's that old saying? You know, if I, the, the, the portion of the word diet is die. So people are like, oh, I'm dying, I can't eat. You know, that was another important mindset that I had to learn that I could, that you're, you're designed to live off your fat and your body stores fat so you can live off it. And we're, we, we, we live for a, we live for a winter that never comes because it used to be, we would, you know, store up some fat to live over a winter because we were cavemen and we had trouble hunting in the winter and, you know, you can't farm and, and have gardens in the winter, you know, in caveman times we had to put on some weight so that we could survive winter. But nowadays we live in, you know, year round 70 degree temperatures. So we eat for a winter that never comes and we keep putting our weight for a winter that, you know, we never really see. We have food 24-7 year round. Well, not only that, you know, we were talking about intermittent fasting and most people don't realize back, you know, 100, 200 years ago, people didn't know when their next meal was going to be. Mm-hmm. And we are blessed today or cursed, depending on how you look at it, with an abundance of either food or food-like products that I call edible products. You know, the manufactured Cheetos, the chips, the pretzels, things like that, that aren't really food. And what's interesting is most people can do an intermittent fast without realizing it. And what I mean by that is if you stop eating three hours before you go to sleep and you sleep for eight hours, well, that's an 11 hours before you wake up in the morning. And what I recommend for people is drink water first thing. So I usually have a 20 ounce glass of water to rehydrate. And then it keeps me full and I don't have to eat my first meal, which they call breakfast means break the fast, you know, until nine or 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And I feel fine because a lot of people get up at six, seven o'clock in the morning and they're hungry. Well, again, if you drink water because you're hydrating, then you don't have to worry about having your first meal until a couple hours later. You know, that's really important. My first thing is usually a coffee in the morning. And sometimes it really, it, it, it hits me a little hard. I'm going to start, I just made a note to myself that I'm going to start drinking water in the morning, a big glass of water in the morning before I hit the coffee. Because you're right, you're kind of probably dehydrated a little bit from the night before. I didn't think about that because I feel more dehydrated after my coffee. Well, exactly. And that's what I do. I have my glass of water, then I have a cup of black coffee. Some people like to put their sugar and cream in it. I recommend it black, but mm-hmm. to each their own. If you can reduce the amount of you know milk or creamery put in or reduce the amount of sugar, you'll be a lot better off. And speaking of sugar, Starbucks, unfortunately, a lot of their greens will have between 50 and 70 grams of sugar. And then our bodies only need between 25 and 30 grams of sugar for the entire day. Mm-hmm. You know, what I recommend is if you have to put a lot of sugar and milk in your coffee, you're drinking awful coffee. You're just drinking crap coffee. So I recommend go to coffeereview.com, buy some high quality coffee. If you buy high quality coffee, and the funny thing about it is, is it's not that much more expensive than for you could buy a bag of, of coffee beans of high quality. You know, they, they have on their sitecoffeereview.com, I should be getting paid for this. They have ratings like you buy wine, like 95, 100, 90 to 100, you know, they, they have ratings of coffee. And there's there's different coffee producers you can buy from. And literally you will pay what you spend in a day or two at Starbucks for a bag of coffee. So you're going to save yourself a fortune. And if you, if you buy high-quality coffee that's 90 to 100, you don't need to put sugar or milk in it. 
the taste and the quality of what you're going to buy is is going to work for you. And then you don't have to put that, you don't have to put the milk fat in there. You don't have to put the sugar in there and you're drinking good quality coffee. A Starbucks is not quality coffee. In fact, I think it's syrup most of the time, really. Exactly. The other thing we were talking about, you know, foods being supersized. A lot of people don't realize our portions have been supersized without mm-hmm. us realizing it. And the reason I say that is in the 1900s, the average size dinner plate was nine inches in diameter. Holy crap. Today it's 12 inches. And at restaurants, it's 13 to 15 inches because they want to charge you more so they feel like you get a better value. Yet in Europe, a dinner size plate is still nine nine inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. So if you put the exact same amount of food on a salad plate as a dinner size plate, on the salad plate, it looks like you're getting a lot more. On a dinner size plate, it looks like you're getting a lot less, which is why people tend to overeat. And they call it the Del Boa illusion. The Del Boa illusion? Do I have that pronounced yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that, that makes sense. You know, people can, the studies have shown that people can come here from Europe and they can kind of eat the same foods, but they'll gain weight because of our portion. You know, like I, I my friends in Europe all the time, they're like, I'll post something from my food and they're like, Jesus, you guys eat a lot of food. That's like a giant portion over here, man. It's like jumbo portion. Yeah, exactly. So I use a salad plate now instead of a dinner size plate. Ah, I like that. I might start doing that because I'm I'm really bad at even with my salads. I probably throw too much in there, and there's probably too much dressing, and there's too much. I throw a lot of stuff into my salads. I've learned to make. I eat a salad a day, and I've learned to uh, to make good salads. What it, some of what you're talking about, I guess, is in your prior book. Do you want to? Do we want to plug or tease anything out in the prior book? Break the chains of dieting. Sure. One of the stories I talk about is the pot roast story, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. And for the audience, just in case they're not, there's a young lady who's hosting a dinner party and she makes a pot roast. And one of the guests says, oh, this is delicious. Can I get the recipe? And the hostess says, of course. She writes it down. The guest looks at it, says, well, why do you cut the ends of your pot roast off before you cook it? And the host says, I don't know. That's how my mom taught me. So she calls her mom the next day and says, Mom, why do we cut the ends of the pot roast off before we cook it? And her mom says, I don't know. That's how your grandmother taught me. Call your grandmother. So she calls her grandmother and grandma thinks for a minute and says, oh, because when I was first married, the pot I had was too small. So I had to cut the ends off of the pot roast to make it fit. So the moral of that story is we eat a certain way or eat certain things because that's how we're taught to eat. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about why you're eating a certain way or a certain time or a certain thing to figure out, do you really want to keep doing it that way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how much we learn our food habits from our parents and our eating habits from our parents. Like I've noticed that, uh, you know, fat people have fat kids. I'm not not shaming anybody. And really, as far as I'm concerned, people should be, (laughs) hey, you're, you're eating way too much. We need to be do, still doing that in society. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure shaming is the right word, but we, we still need to have people going, hey, you're, you need to back off the foods. I wish somebody had had to kick me in the head a few more times over the years instead of going, oh, you're fine. We love you the way you are, Chris. No, don't. Please. Well, no, you're right. I was fortunate. My doctor told me, you know, I was 61 at the time. He says, dude, you know, based on your lab results and being overweight, you got a 95% chance for a fatal heart attack. He goes, Holy you got two crap. options, lose weight or find a new doctor. He goes, 
because I don't want you dying on my watch. And he strongly encouraged that I find a new doctor because wow. he'd been after me for eight years to mm-hmm. lose the weight. And I hadn't done anything like most people. I procrastinate. Wow. I'll wait till after the holidays, after, you know, the vacation, after we go to a restaurant with our favorite friends, you know, little things like that. We all make excuses. Mm-hmm. So the light bulb went off and I, I took action. I lost 50 pounds, 25% mm-hmm. of my total body weight. And I kept it off. And then just recently, this June, I was 67 and I hiked Kilimanjaro. So I was real oh, proud wow. of that. Wow. That is awesome, man. Hiking Kilimanjaro, man. How old? 67. Damn. I'm 54. <laughs> so now I feel like a like a boob. I need to, I need to get my, I need to catch up if I'm <laughs> hiking for that long. So what are some other things we can tease out in the book to get the people to pick that up? Well, another story, you know, talk about uh, the airplane where if you fly from New York to Los Angeles or Las Vegas, no Los Angeles or vice versa, and you're off one degree, you'd be off 150 miles. Mm-hmm. And most of the planes, they are autopilot. And so the plane's always correcting about 90 to 95% of the time. So what I tell people is when you're attempting to lose weight and you're changing your eating habits, lifestyle, and diet, don't be upset if you're not perfect. You yeah. want to think positive. So keep adjusting. If you you know, have a bad day and you cheat, next day start over again. Yeah. Just don't make it a habit of starting over every day. The whole thing is just keep correcting your course on your weight loss journey as an autopilot does for an airplane. And then you'll get there. What do you think about cheat days? I have these people that are like, I cheat once a week or I have a cheat day once a week where, you know, I go out and we, we pig out and eat whatever we want. And I'm just like, damn, that's just, that's, that's too hard for me. Like if you, if I go out, a cheat day ends up being two or three days because you're like, ah, still on the cheat day and what the hell? Well, I'm not in favor of a cheat day. What I am in favor is not being a food purist. I'm not a purist by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. If I'll have a piece of pumpkin pie or pecan pie during the holidays, I like chocolate cake. What I do instead of eating the whole slice at one time, I break, you know, I'll have it over three or four days. So I eat smaller portions. So I get a little taste. So I don't deprive myself. I just don't make it a habit. I don't make it a routine. When you have a, a cheat day every week, then you look forward to indulging when you don't really need to but if you're out on a special occasion you want to have the ice cream go ahead and have the ice cream if you want to have a glass of wine have a glass of wine just don't beat yourself up over it normally what i tell people is if you're really committed to reducing the weight and keeping it off Mm -hmm. first lose the weight because it's easier to lose it than it is to and and then you know indulge than it is to indulge as you're attempting to lose it Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's that's definitely true. Anything else you want to tease out on the book before we go out? Well, yeah. What's of concern to me is that 80% of the population above age 50, the 50 plus generation, are either type 2 diabetics or pre-diabetics. Mm-hmm. 96 million Americans are pre-diabetic. That's about one in three Americans. And eight out of 10 of those don't even realize it. Yeah, And it's getting worse, and that's because of the food we're consuming, because it's poison. We don't realize it all at one time, and it builds up over time. And if you're a pre-diabetic, what it means is if you do not change your eating habits and lifestyle, you'll be a full-blown type 2 diabetic within seven years. And type 2 diabetes is not only preventable, it's reversible. 
and so you can improve and, and not have to worry about it. And and that's getting to be alarming with the population, you know, aging as we are, especially my age group, where they're having all these illnesses that are preventable. Yeah, a lot of people are being diabetic, and a lot of my friends that were told they were borderline diabetic or going down diabetic, and their their doctors gave them a kick in the butt. You know, they changed their diet, they lost the weight, they got better. It is kind of reversible in certain cases. And you just don't want to end up, you know, the older I get, the more it seems like my system slows down. And so, you know, it's it's hard to lose weight when you get older. When I was young, man, I just, you know, I go on a lot of diet and lose weight and it just burn off. But now the older I get, the harder it seems to be to come off. No, I agree with you. When I was younger in college, I was eating a pound bag of M&Ms, having pizza and ice cream, never gained a pound. However, I was running, you know, four to five miles a day and I was playing, you know, sports in college and burning it off. Now I just look at the food and I gain the weight. Yeah, yeah that's pretty hard to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> most definitely. So let's see, give us your plug so people can find you on the interwebs and learn more about you. Sure. They can go to IamThinning.com mm-hmm. and they can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. It's my first and last name, David. Last name is Medansky, M-E-D-A-N-S-K-Y. Like three words, me, Dan, and Sky. Just make it sound Polish. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Dave, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for being on the show, David. We really appreciate it. David, thank can you, you hear so me? much, Chris. There you go. There you go. And thanks, Manis, for tuning in. Chris. Be sure to thank you. Be sure to order up the book, Stop Dieting, Start Thinning, December 13th, 2022. And also pick up his current book that you can find wherever fine books are sold. Break the Chains of Dieting, Nine Fundamental Must-Have Principles for Healthy Weight Loss. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.